Welcome to Inside the Rope, the podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. I'm your host, David Clark, and this episode, I'm speaking with Neil Schloss. I talked to Neil about the future of mobility, transport, cars, automotive, and otherwise, where that future is going. I met Neil and was fascinated by his background as a global treasurer of the Ford Motor Group and his involvement as an investor and other involvements with the whole mobility landscape and the growth end of that, to say the least. I think you'll enjoy the podcast. Uh, It certainly gives me a much broader insight and it's great to be able to talk to someone who isn't selling an investment per se. Please remember that this podcast isn't designed to be, nor is it specific or general advice. People are encouraged to listen to the disclaimer at the end of the podcast and always seek advice and read all offer documents and disclosure documents as appropriate. Please continue to email me at david.clark at codacapital.com. Your feedback is very valuable and I really enjoy it. Please enjoy the podcast. Neil Schloss, welcome to Inside the Rope. Thank you. Great to be Great, great to be with you, David. And I think you're coming from Jerusalem. Um, I'm back home in Sydney after meeting you a couple of weeks ago on a trip up there with a client to look at some investee companies and sort of get a firsthand experience. Uh, now I've been up there sort of three times at this whole startup nation, but I think you're, you're in Jerusalem uh, today. Is that correct? That is correct. I am here. We're, we're here for... Uh... Uh, about six weeks, seven weeks. Uh, we come here three or four times a year. Uh, we're now citizens, so uh, we get the dual citizenship with the United States. Uh, so we get the best of both of both countries. Fantastic. Well, now, wanted for the benefit of our listeners, if you could give us a little bit of a profile or a background um, of who they're talking to or who they're listening to. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, and I basically, you know, I'll skip the the early general stuff, but from a career perspective, uh, I spent 36 years with Ford Motor Company um, in the U.S., mostly in what I would call sort of finance, uh, finance-related business strategy, um, heavy in capital markets and investor relations and investing. Uh, we had a very large, they did have a very large and still do a very large pension fund, so we were active investors uh, in all the asset classes. Uh, Spent 36 years there. I was corporate treasurer for 10 for 10 years from the financial crisis in 2007 through 2017, um, and then toward the end of my career, the last two two years, I was a CFO of the, of the mobility business, which was a startup inside of Ford, uh, which got me hugely connected within the, the startup world. Uh, so when I retired at the end of 2018. Uh, there was a whole new world for me outside of corporate America and outside of big corporate uh, in the startup world. And so I've been doing a lot of, you know, board work, advisory work, both in both in Israel, both Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, as well as Silicon Valley uh, in the I'm not sure it's completely automotive related, related, but clearly automotive 2.0, which which in my vision is everything from walking to spaceships. Uh, and everything in, in between. So uh, it's been fun. It's challenging. Very, very smart people uh, and uh, lots of great ideas, some of which will succeed, obviously, and some of which, as you know, it's an investor. 
So it's interesting when I met you and, and I think at the time you, you might have said, if I have it right, that you, you, the job you retired from was treasurer of um, Ford Motor Company. I thought, wow, that, that, that's a huge organization. Then you're talking about some of the things you're involved in. Uh, I, so I thought, well, it'd be fascinating to have a chat to you because in the minds of someone like myself anyway, um, I can remember you know, autonomous vehicles first being flagged let's call it 10 years ago and everybody's showing me pictures of you know the transition from horse and buggy to cars and saying well look now here's a picture of new york city 2007 now here's a picture um sorry 1907 now here's a picture you know 1913 and one was lined with horse and buggy and one was lined with t-model fords so i thought you know where, where are all these driverless cars we were sort of expecting around this time? And I thought, you know, you, you would be a good time, just a good person to speak with. And it's also great because a lot of the people we've had on the podcast have always had, you know, almost a product or otherwise to, to sort of flogger at the back end, you know, not, not that they were selling a book, but they were affiliated with a fund manager or a fund they're raising. So I thought it would be great to have someone with your, view experience to talk to us about it and um it's interesting i thought well you know what really does a treasurer do and i sort of jumped onto google and i sort of you know a corporate treasurer treasurer you know sort of safeguards evaluates risks and allocates capital um for a corporate and um i think if investors think it like that and you know they're, they're obviously managing a portfolio and they're often wanting to get exposure to new trends and growing businesses that would be very helpful um to, to have a conversation so if i can kick you know right off at the block with out of the blocks with my my sort of thinking is why aren't we seeing driverless cars on the road now yeah that's a that's we can talk for hours um on the pitfalls of any automotive invest, investment or anything investment in the automotive business and you can go back and you can probably go back at 20 years and say, you know, the next big technology the automotive industry was going to have is going to be hydrogen. And, and so we were going to get all these hydrogen cells and, and, and where are we on hydrogen? Where are we on batteries? Where are we on AVs? I mean, everything is, is similar. It takes forever to get anything new into the auto industry. I mean, you talked about the horse and buggy going to the Model T, going to where we are today. That's 100 years, 120 years. Right. And yeah, it looks a lot different now, but it took decades for each of those different transition points along the way, um, in part because it's hard. The technology isn't straightforward. It's it, many of it, especially with 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 EVs now, electric vehicles and with AVs on the autonomous side. The technology itself is hard. Um, and when you're dealing with a product and a service that is for all intents and purposes, a weapon, you're dealing with people's lives in everything you do. And so you 98% accuracy isn't good enough um, when it comes to people's lives and safe in safe and safety. We can come back to that because I think where the safety of the industry today is isn't, you know, a whole lot different than it was 10 years ago when you think about the number of lives lost. On, on, on the road every year. And AVs will clearly help that, but 
you get a headline of a Tesla that runs into a truck and all of a sudden it's the worst thing that could possibly happen when hundreds of people die every day in car accidents in other places that you hear nothing about. Mm. Um, so everything, I think, the reason we're right of the industry, which was ago, we should be at scale today in the AV world. If you believe everything back in 2017, 2018, we're still very early stage. Um, there are some products and services that are in the market today that are still being tested, but we're still a ways away from having AVs in a significant way. And I'll use the word scale a lot. We're a long way away from having AVs at scale. And, and do you want to talk a little bit about the different regulatory or the numbering system? I think it's one through five or four that they talk about yeah. on the steps. What does that look like and what does that mean? Yeah, I think there's, I think, I'm not sure the organization, there's an organization that basically puts out, you know, a scale of one to five on levels of autonomy. We'll know where we are today is probably somewhere in the two to two plus range, which is semi-autonomous, mostly focused on safety. You know, you've got mobile eye, you've got sensors and, and cameras. Whoever bought a new car in the last three or four years, you've got, you know, road assist, you've got, you know, lane assist. Um, you've got speed control on your on your autonomous on your 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 automatic cruise control that shuts it off without you hitting the pedal if you get too close to the vehicle in front of you. Those are all sort of level two, level two plus type of. And again, you go back in level one, two, three, four, five was very clearly defined five years ago, and now you're starting getting into the pluses and the degre you know, as you get more and more knowledge over each individual you got create a, a granularity now in between every, every, every everything so i think the industry would say that the bulk of new vehicles today and again we're focused on on vehicles where i think we can really expand it to either smaller purpose vehicles or delivery of, of goods um we're probably somewhere in the two to two plus range as an industry um three is going to be a lot of safe safety four gets to be where you don't need a driver um, but you have sort of a bat, you have still the steering wheel, the pedal, so you could take over if necessary. Level five is all roads, no driver, no steering wheel, no, it's everything completely autonomous. Um, and obviously from, you know, the last five years experience, you know, we're a long way away from level five. And there are companies now that are saying that, you know, level three is going to be very good. It's going to save lives. You're not going to have to hold the steering wheel. You're not going to have to be in much control, but you're going to have to be there in case. Um, maybe good enough for the next couple of decades. And is it right that there are these type of vehicles in testing in places like Phoenix and San Francisco? Yeah, I think the you know the Ubers, the 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 Waymos, which is Google, um, are are clearly out there. And again, it's small scale. Um, it's geofenced, so the mapping becomes, you know, extremely important from the standpoint of real-time mapping, whether it's construction, pedestrians, you know, potholes, um, very important that you get real-time map mapping, which really constrains, you know, constrains the area in which you can, you can operate. You've also got sensor limitations from a standpoint of weather. So Phoenix is an ideal location. Las Vegas is a good location. Uh, from the standpoint of, you know, you've got good weather 99% of the time, you know, it's relatively new and decent roads, it's in a city. So the, the, ride, the ride share models, um, which has clearly been an early adapter um, in, test, in testing, 
Um, I'm not sure how San Francisco works into that because that's also a test market, but that has all the hills and, and corners and curves, which makes it a lot harder from a from a mapping perspective and a technology pers perspective. But Phoenix is sort of the ideal. You know, Austin is another one that seems to be a popular place um, for testing. But again, Miami is another one. But again, very small scale. Um, it is a business model and we can get into what makes a business model successful uh, in this space. But it is a business model that at scale, when you get rid of the driver, which is 75% of the cost, you can actually build a financial model that actually says you're going to make some money. Um, but it is scale. It needs to be scaled because, again, if you're making 100 vehicles and you're putting them on the street, that's not economical for anybody. Um, yeah, other than maybe the consumer, other than maybe the consumer who's going to pay a, a discount rate to be the, the guinea pig sitting in a vehicle with no with 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 no with no driver. Yeah. And, and I think this is where, you know, everything's about expectation management. And, you know, I think listeners who have listened to this podcast a lot will be familiar with Kathy Wood and Ark. She's been on the podcast three times and, you know, she's a noted investor in high growth long-term technology and major things that shift the needle and you know I, I think she's been very bullish out there in the market talking about um a three thousand dollar valuation of tesla and when you build in the when you dig into the model that she has to support that i want to say don't quote me on it 30 40 percent of the revenues under support uh, supporting that valuation are a driverless fleet of autonomous vehicles um, running as sort of rideshare, um, you know, in cities. Um, so, you know, you, you're really having to project a long way in, in into the future. And maybe when you have cash at zero and you're discounting at very low rates, that works. Obviously, we've seen valuations come off a lot. But what, what, what have the, what's been the big problem? You know, I, I can remember going back to the time period you're referencing and everyone's saying, well, you know, Moore's law and it's exponential growth. And we, you know, we underestimate, we overestimate what we can do in two years and we underestimate what we can do in 10 years. And it feels like to me, we're at that kind of 10 year period where everyone was expecting it. What, what have been the big struggles? I think you kind of alluded to it where it's, you know, the bad weather and it's a non-controlled environment where, you know, you, you've got to go to a, a sporting event and park in a, an oval next to it in rain and people are walking all over the place. But what, what are the big challenges? Well, I think the technology and, and I think the ones that you're seeing success, successful in the test mode are gonna be your, maybe your purpose built, built vehicle when you got you know, golf, golf carts that are running around you know, Leisure World, which is a retirement community or a hotel com compound or a golf country club. You know, those technologies are relatively doable today from a standpoint of both safety and because they're, they're low speed. So it just makes the technology build um, a little easier, a lot easier from the standpoint. And regulatory wise, you're in a constrained environment, you're in a private neighborhood, that kind of stuff. It works. Um, I think from the, the standpoint of, of where it goes and how what's how we break through and i think that's what the industry needs right now is sort of a break breakthrough that gets us beyond level three um and you know you can talk to the mobile eye guys and they're clearly leaders uh in in the in the adas space which is the the um advanced driver assistance systems which is now the new buzz buzzword that everybody uses from a standpoint of of safe safety and tech 
and techno technology. The sensors, the, whether it's LIDAR, cameras, radar, which are the sort of the three that are used today or being developed today, um, may not be good enough. And again, you know, when we we were we met with Innovis when when you when when we when you were here together, um, and you can see how the packaging has changed and how their technology has changed, and they're clearly one of the leaders in lidar, but they're still pretty much pre-revenue um, from a standpoint of the ability to to really generate you know significant volume and significant uh, revenue and profits, or I guess near profits. Um, so the technology is hard. Regulation, which used to be viewed as a major hindrance, we haven't even started there yet. Um, I mean, individual cities that want pilots are working with these individual companies. But when you get into automotive and you have to get into federal standards and things like that, that's a long way still away. And who knows how receptive you know, governments are going to be in each country to allow that to happen. To, to happen. So regulation um, is a big deal. Capital, and I think that's an area where you've seen, I don't know if it's a shift, but AVs and EVs, which have clearly been running sort of in a common path over the last four or five years, EVs are getting the dominant amount of capital today. Um, because of the, 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 whether it's governments or environmental pushes toward clean energy, uh, and a better climate, you know, EVs are clearly, electric, electric vehicles are clearly getting the, the focus from investors, from, from capital, from companies. I mean, you see, hundreds, you see hundreds of billions of dollars being invested in the EV space. And you really don't hear much about the AV space anymore from a standpoint of what's the investment requirements going to be. Um, and so I think capital is going to be a continued constraint for the AV world as long as EVs are dominating the marketplace, which will continue. And you know, Less capital is going to slow things down or at least push things further out. Um, and so when you think about it from an investment perspective and AVs, um, you better have patience. Uh, you better have more capital to put behind the previous cap capital because it's going to take longer for these com com companies, whether they're a tech company, whether they're a supplier, whether they're an OEM, they're going to be longer lead times, which is going to require more capital. Um, so to some extent, you got to be a believer, but that was true four years ago, true five years ago. You got a believer that in the future, we're going to have a bunch of cars running around with, with no drivers and working together, whether it's geofenced or in a separate lane or more broadly at the level four, level five, which in, at least in my own opinion is still a ways away. And who are the big players and how have they shifted over the last 10 years in the space? Um, I think you've, I mean, the, what's, shift, what's shifted is those who have come in and those who have come out. Um, obviously, the, the big players in the sort of vehicle side, um, and again, I don't know how to think about Waymo because they're not really on the vehicle side, but they're running the, the, the ride share service. So they're, they're obviously in contracts with the OEMs to buy the vehicles. So I almost put them both as a technology com company, a service provider. Um, and contract manufacture the, 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 the vehicles. You've got Cruise, which is the GM entity um, that's doing similar. Um, Aurora's doing it with trucks. And so I think those are probably your service provider leaders. I think you've got the, the tech leaders, whether they be, you know, Mobileye and the supply side is also a tech com 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 company. Qual Qualcomm's playing in the space now. 
um, NVIDIA is playing in it. You've got, you know, uh, and then you got all the marketplace guys. And this is the, doesn't get a lot of attention. You got all the people that once the driver's gone and you're just riding the vehicle, the ability to pipe in services into the vehicle, you know, think about net, net, Netflix, instead of, instead of driving, you're watching a movie or news services, or, or you think about insurance and the value of the telematics data. And I, you know, there's so many things that are going to be piped in and out of the vehicle. And then you've got the technology to protect all that, which is the cyber stuff. And so there's this whole industry of AV is beyond what you think about and what you hear about, which is vehicles running around the street. Mm. That may actually be the lost leader to everything else that could be done within the vehicle. And, and I think it's yet to be proven what the right business model is and who participates in it, but you've got everybody who wants to participate in it. Um, and the more soft, the more software and less hardware is the less expensive way to do it. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to a, uh, a fund manager, investment manager who runs a mobility focused strategy and uh, their view was, I don't know if it was 10, 15, 20 years time, you're going to have three automotive companies only, and that'll be Tesla, Rivian, and Apple was their view, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It, yeah, it, I probably agree with the first one. I'm not sure I agree with the last two. Um, Apple's been trying to, to study and potentially build a car for a decade. And where are they today? Who knows, right? They're secretive. Um, but turning a car into an iPhone or an iPhone into a car um, <laughs> is uh, is a lot is a lot more to it. And I think Tesla is the same way. Tes Tesla has, you know, if you look at their financials, I'm not sure they still make any money if you strip out the carbon credits that they sell. Um, that they're, you know that kind of stuff. And their volume is now north of a million units. And it took how many years to get to north of a million units? Um, I mean, Elon Musk used to sleep on the manufacturing floor to make sure things move, right? And so this is a tough industry and it's an extremely difficult industry to scale economically. Um, just forget the AV side, just the manufacturing, the, the product design, the manufacturing and the assembly piece of it to get it right and be efficient and safe um, is a humongous task. And obviously the incumbents have to know how to do that they don't have, they're not historically great in soft, in software and or tech. And so the merger of those two things become, so does Apple partner with somebody? Um, in my mind would seem to be the better, would be the more efficient, better strategy. Partner with somebody who actually knows how to build a car. Yeah, sure. It, it's interesting. I am obsessed with the Freakonomics guys uh, podcast series, uh, Freakonomics and people I mostly admire. And I'm, I'm not sure which one it was, but they did a, a five-part deep dive series into the airline industry. And, and at the end of it, you, you kind of thought, well, and I think they actually said, you know, you, you, if, you, if you had any doubts before, you, you actually now know what Warren Buffett's been telling you for years, you do not want to buy an airline. Um, do you want to buy an automotive producer? Is this space investable? Um, given the unknowns that you're talking about? I think it, I, well, I think all the space is invest in, investable in this. It's, it's finding, and we don't, it's way too early to know who the winners and losers are going to be. 
Um, I mean, you could argue, make a point that those who've been in AVs for 10, for 10 years have wasted a ton of money. And so coming in now or, or a year ago with the lessons learned of everybody else might be the most efficient capital play, um, right? Because the, the longer it takes to get there, the more opportunity they are, there is for, and I'm not sure late arrivals is the right word, but newcomers yeah. well, yeah, to yeah, actually yeah. be successful. They've been at the bleeding edge and you want to come in after it when the technology is stabilized and the opportunity presents. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked to several relatively new LIDAR companies that mm -hmm. are not in the, not in the, even the point of being able to manufacture more than a prototype or two, but have solved or think they have solved the speed and latency issue with existing LIDAR, right? Because if you know, LIDAR pings and pings back right, at, at, at nanoseconds um, to build the picture so the car can react or the vehicle mm -hmm. can react. And there are technology in inhibitors today and in what's being produced today. And there are technology companies that are coming in right now and saying, wait a second, I'm, I'm a physicist, I've got all this background and I could basically make that ping back and forth better, better quality, better vision, better speed. And you look at them and say, wait a second, you're like 10 years late in the industry. How do you catch up? And they look at you like saying, where is the industry today? Right? What has it solved? Where, yeah. you know, and so there's, a, there's an argument to be made that, you know, when you think about winners and looters, there may be winners we don't even know about in this space. Um, but the big guys, I think the big guys are very investable, whether you pick the Mobilize or the NVIDIA or some of the, qual the Qualcomm's on the side, supply side. Um, it's hard with Waymo right now and Cruise because one, they're private and they're subsidiaries, quote unquote, subsidiaries of bigger comp companies. So investing in GM, are you buying some of the AV, EV space along with that or Ford for that matter? I mean, are you, is there a way to do that? Um, and then on the private side, I mean, you know this better than anybody. There's a ton of opportunities to look at. Picking the yeah. winners, the future winners and losers is David what you get paid for? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, and and that and that's where I'm scratching my head, saying, is this um, too difficult? In that you know we operate in the weighted averages world. In that um, you know we, we we're operating with imperfect information, trying to make decisions based on probability and likely outcomes, and and sometimes that gives you a bit of a headache. And, and in this case. It, it seems to me that you know the the landscape's gotten more confusing over the last ten years rather than a lot clearer, um, and that's I what I that. wonder. And and I'd agree with that. And 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 given that, I'm kind of thinking, well, where are the most likely winners to come from, or is there a part of the whole ecosystem where you can say whether that's a Tesla or a, a GM or a Volkswagen group or, or similar where you can say, right, well, they're obviously going to survive and they're going to benefit from this, whether it's, you know, or, or is there a somewhere in the whole supply chain where you say, well, you know, I'm going to sell Levi blue jeans to the, the gold rush people. And it doesn't matter who finds the gold. I'm going to supply them the backbone. Is there pieces in that where you can say, Hey, you know, I, is it buying lithium? Is it buying copper? Is it buying cobalt? Is it, you know, concentrating on LIDAR or some other piece of the chain there where you can confidently say, you know, 
in this mobility revolution that I think we all agree we're going to go through, um, right. is does one of those segments present le less risk than another? Um, I think less risk than the other. And I'm a risk manager, so this is a tougher question. Um, I think they're probably... Hmm. I'll answer that a couple diff different ways. I think from a standpoint of buying the big guys, whether you're buying the, the GMs or the Googles or the Mobileyes or those kind of guys, you're going to get a piece of this technology and this growth and this opportunity as part of a bigger entity. So mm -hmm. from a risk perspective, you're probably, that might be the lowest risk way to get in because you're getting a lot of other stuff too. Right, you're getting the EV stuff. You're getting the marketplace stuff. You're getting some of the, the stuff that a big company is going to be able to do. As you work down the size scale and you get into the tier one or tier two supply base, that again is going to be more stable. Have other products that they're venturing into this technology. Again, it's going to be a diversification benefit that you have. Um, when you get into picking individual technologies and individual companies. Um, Again, you have to think through what you, where you believe from a business model perspective, they can have the greatest technology. If they can't figure out how to sell it or how to integrate it or how to build the product that goes in it, that's not gonna help much. But who's gonna be able to implement and make money doing it? Um, whether it's the, whether it's the, um, the, the sensors, whether it's the software that goes into the sensors, and there's several companies that I'm sure you've met um, that are actually building the software to be used by the sensors in the, in the, in the computer on board. Um, and then you've got all the potential businesses, the ancillary businesses that go with that, whether it be ride sharing, whether it be moving of goods, you know, pizza delivery, using AVs and an AV truck. So you just go out and that worked great in Phoenix to go out and pick up your pizza. It probably doesn't work well in New York City in January when you have to get dressed, walk down, you know, go down 30 flights, walk outside, freeze your butt off to pull the pizza out of an oven, right? So there's certain markets that that's gonna do, but that's, they're all over. Service, the service capability of what an AV will provide will open up a huge amount of, 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 of opportunities, what I'll call the marketplace. Yes. Um, that that feeds off of that. So there's lots of investable space. Depends on your interest. Depends on your views of speed and how fast it comes, um, and how much risk you want to take. Obviously, betting on one company is probably not the good thing for a risk management perspective. But betting on a half a dozen in in a variety of different roles, you know, for diversification perspective, maybe you get a winner or two. And and you opened the door on it earlier in you know really defining the mobility space in everywhere from walking to space travel. Um, and I, I thought of that as you were talking about, well, you know, maybe the, the driverless pizza oven may not work in January in New York, but maybe the miniature, you know, pre-warmed pizza slip on a drone that delivers it to your window mm -hmm. or something works. So inside that continuum you're talking about, which areas are you kind of excited about or do you think people aren't necessarily thinking about that are reasonably likely to happen? I guess from my own perspective, and, and I, I have a good friend who's you know involved in a, in a flying taxi business, and, and that to me is, is a bit out there. 
right? It's like, mm-hmm. how do in Los, Los, Los Angeles, how do I get from the valley to the city in, in 20 minutes versus four hours, right? <laughs> so it's, it's that kind of stuff. Um, I tend to think about the more investable space for me, and I'm a short, I'm not a 20 year investor, so I'm not somebody who's gonna think about returns 20 years from now, is looking at the core areas along that spec- spectrum, whether it be vehicles, whether it be bikes, whether it be, you know, scooters, that kind of stuff and say, okay, what are the variants on either side of those to sort of blur the line between, because as we, as you know, there's now a pretty blurred line between what I would call scooters and at least the delivery vehicles that are out there now. There's, there's a lot of granularity in between and blurriness in the fact that several of these are playing in multiple areas. So bikes are now delivery vehicles, right? Um, especially especially the, the moped type bikes, which I know here in, Jeruz- in Jerusalem is the main delivery vehicle for, 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 for food, right? Mm-hmm. It's no longer the small vehicle, which is what we would have in the US. Um, and so there's a lot of, those are the types of things that I look at a core, look at something that's working today, um, may not be the same, futuristic look, but then you can go on either side of that and look for technologies and look for enhancements to make that a better business. It's sort of a near term uh, approach. Again, looking at the business model, can you make money doing it? Mm-hmm. Uh, is the revenue there is, is it, you know, and the, one of the things with, with rideshare, and this has been around a while, is do they make money when you're paying 80% of your cost to the driver? Yep. And you look at the driver equation, the drivers aren't making a return on capital either. Right, so that whole business model is still flawed. Now, you and I both know that the price of the vehicle, the price of riding in one of these things now is fifty percent higher than it was five years ago. Yes. Right, so they're getting smarter, and consumers are still paying. So, is what's the price elasticity of all that kind of stuff? So, I look at the sort of variance in each of those main cores, um, and then you can take flyers on, no pun intended, on the you know flying taxis or the drones. I think drones are more main. Dream now, because I think the tech, technology has proven itself. I mean, they're being used in in military, at least in here. That's what was being used a week ago with regards to to several of the the, the missiles that were flying here. Um, and so, um, some of those things are becoming more and more mainstream. And so, drone delivery um, and and such are are interesting mobility plays um, as well. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about the merging and clouding of these technologies as they integrate and morph, you know, returning home. And I, I live in Manly, uh, which is by the beach in Sydney, and there's just been an absolute proliferation of electric bikes. And it seems that there's this style of almost roadster electric bike, which is quite powerful, easy to modify. So it's throttle only, which isn't allowed, um, you know, and these things look like a motorbike but are a push bike with a big battery on them and a heavy and you know there's lots of 13 14 year olds up and down the bike paths very quickly on them it's a bit like tel aviv with those scooters flying past you know you can just see these collisions are going to happen but in the long term I, i i think it makes sense because for a whole heap of reasons um but there'll be yeah if you go to and if you go to india you drive around india which is a different story altogether, yes. but they'd laugh at you. They would laugh at you by thinking, oh, three wheelers, we've had three wheelers for 50 years. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, you talked about this issue about safety and it being a real inhibitor 
and I think you're exactly right. And I, I, I draw the uh, example of air traveling for plane crashes. It's sort of, oh my God. And if you actually look through the data, you realize that air travel is extremely safe, statistically, um, you know, in comparison to, you know, motor car travel and everybody has no problem getting in a car and nobody gets the cold sweats, um, generally speaking. Um, but this issue about, you know, as soon as- And an, planes, by the way, are probably level three or four. Yeah, already. Yeah, that's right. right. Yep. So, you know, how do we get around this issue that, you know, it's probably safer to go to autonomous vehicles earlier? And yes, you are going to have the odd issue that presents, but that's still on an aggregate basis going to be much, much more positive for all of society. But just the disproportionate media coverage you're going to get from the autonomous vehicle accident versus one of the numerous yep. drivers who are just bad drivers, drunk, whatever, whatever, whatever. Is there a way to and get around that? Yeah, and it's not just it's it's not just the media. I think it's as much governments as well. They're 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 putting they're going to end up having to regulate the in, the the industry and and. As you know, regulators typically are behind when it comes to the technology and, and getting it right. And so is there a way around that? You know, I think it's going to be, it's got to be a continued education. It's not a widespread, not, I mean, you go to the average person on the street and ask them what an AV is, and I'm not sure you'd get 25% that actually can describe it in any kind of meaningful definition. So there's mm -hmm. still a lot of education. So when somebody reads a newspaper that Tesla was in AV mode and drives underneath a truck because it was blinded by the side, isn't going to play well with the average consumer getting into a vehicle that's driving itself. Um, and so there is an education. It's no different than in the EV world. You know, their range anxiety that existed is an education tool because how many people need more than 250 miles a week or 250 miles every two days, right? 85% of people probably don't. But range anxiety became the, the, in the hindrance to to scalability of the industry, um, which has been, which is being fixed, but it's still an education process. And I think we'll have to go through that same education process with regards to, you know, if we can cut the, the death from, you know, 30,000 a year to 3,000 a year, that's a huge human benefit, right? Mm. And put a number on that. Who knows what that number is, right? When you put about what's, what's a life worth? Um, but the industry is going to have to work with itself and with governments to express that point of view and then educate the consumer that your higher probability of dying in a car is you driving, not, not the vehicle itself driving. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the other thing, which is, you know, every vehicle now has got, you know, pedestrians get in the way of things, right? And so AVs, you know, you were in Tel Aviv. I don't know how an AV would ever survive in Tel Aviv. <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's certain cities that you just wonder, you know, pedestrians that follow rules, you could probably build an AV to work in. Pedestrians that cross in the middle, jump out in front, yeah. um, scooters exactly. that are all over the, I mean, you wonder how an AV in a city like Tel Aviv or New York, or I'm assuming maybe Sydney, um, is, is probably not one of the early adapters <laughs> from the standpoint. I think we've got ourselves works. a uh, service rollout thesis of 
you know, German AV service providers versus Tel Aviv AV service providers because, you know, the Germans love to follow the rules on, the, on, those, on those lights. Um, yeah, and I'll give you a great industry that benefit. You know, the insurance industry would benefit significantly from an AV world, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, a, it's a known risk. It's programmable. It's predictable. Um, you get rid of the individualistic risks associated with that. And so their underwriting cap 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 capability would be great, uh, greater than it is today. And then uh, they can also do a lot more predictive accidents and get rid of all the fraud and abuse that exists within the property casualty business today. So you see all the insurers all over this space. And that's one of the marketplace, clearly one of the marketplace with ADAS and with AV. So you also flagged it before you alluded to there may be a quantum shift in the revenue model here. And, you know, I, I noticed, you know, years ago when this st first started talking about, they were talking about, you know, um, just as you had SaaS and every startup I know wants to be in a SaaS um, and it's everything's a SaaS business or, um, you know, it's got artificial intelligence anyway. Um, everyone also wants to have this recurring income stream and I know there were a few talks of BMW, Ford and others offering, you know, vehicle as a service where you play a flat $200 a month and you get any one of the Ford vehicles or similar. Um, do you think there's likely to be a huge shift in the revenue model in the industry? I don't. Um, and and it, it's, I think the test so far anyway, and I'm a little dated because these were being done when I was still at Ford, but I think the, the industry tests that were done, at least back then, were, were complicated in the sense that the subscription service was not, didn't work, um, didn't have demand. Maybe today would be diff different because I think you can package a lot. We're all used to now subscription services. And I think <laughs> the funny story is, you know, if everybody sat down and actually added up all the monthly subscription services that they have, you're way back. They would be, oh my, they'd be, oh my God, I'm spending too much money on subscription services. You add a $500 a month charge for a car <laughs> to that, um, which is no different than a lease payment, by the way, or right. a retail loan payment, right? Yeah, but the depreciation um, of the capital expenditure. Yeah, so to some extent, you the least product today is somewhat of a subscription service already. Um, but the question is, what do you get with it? In an AV world, you're going to get all these piped in services. You're going to get access to things while you're in the vehicle um, that you can potentially sell individual subscriptions on. At least the and again, I'm dated um, from the standpoint of what the industry was doing, you know, four or five years ago. And I know Cadillac tried it, um, and it didn't have a lot of success. And their product was. You know, you can come and get a car, and if you want to, you want to escalate for the for the weekend. You come in and you just swap your cars out. Um, I don't know why an OEM would want to do that because um, you get cherry. You know, it's just the, the amount of inventory you have to keep for that to work. Um, I don't know why how that makes any sense, but you know, I, I know a lot of folks have tried different. You've got it now in the in the rental car space. What you know, the Hertz and the budgets and folks that were usually day, daily rental have now gone into the leasing business for for Uber drivers, you know, who want to basically lease a vehicle instead of own own their own. So there's there's variations of those models. Um, I'm not sure any of them make economic sense for the provider. Um, they obviously may be a good solution for the users, but at least they haven't been they haven't been taken up in the studies that were done at least three four years ago. 
then we had a go at sort of trying to pick what the potential winners would look and feel like in this space, which is very hard. I'm wondering if we might have any more success of trying to identify the losers. And if, are there any, in your mind, standout red flags, you know, pick up your due diligence and bag and run away as soon as you see these sort of things in this space? Um, you know, that's a dangerous question. <laughs> um, boy, I, I, I'm hesitant to say because it's very early still. Yeah. Um, I think capital will be, especially in this environment, I think those early stage technology companies that are in this space that are, you know, there's going to be some technologies that are great that aren't going to succeed in this market because access to cap to, to capital today is really, really hard. And so staying away from those businesses that have short cash runways in this space um, that don't have a revenue opportunity, because there's, there's some businesses that have short runways that can slow down growth and obviously generate cash. Many of the technologies in this AV space aren't able to do that because they don't have the revenue. So they can slow down the technology. I think you're starting to see technology available cheap from a standpoint of IP as companies are going to close their doors in this environment. So I think due diligence and looking at, at least in the early stage, is looking at cash runway and access to capital because both of those are going to be key drivers in the next, call it 18 months anyway. Um, and you, you've seen it in this market, Silicon Valley, the same way I'm assuming other places as well is, you know, people are doing safe, people are doing safes, they're doing convertible notes, they're, they're trying to buy time, you know, or the ones that are getting funding done are getting it done with crazy terms that aren't going to be good long-term, but it's the only way you're going to get money. You've seen the SPAC world greater, but everybody got money out of that. So they survived longer. So I think looking at the financials, I think it become much more important in the diligence process today than maybe even the evaluation of, of the technology. Now, you're speaking to a finance guy. So, you know, I have a bias toward financial models anyway, um, but they're becoming more important given the markets and access to capital. I think that's a fantastic place to sum it up because, you know, when I thought about it, I thought it would be a super beneficial conversation given your view on a space where most of the people listening to this are looking at investing into it and how do they access it. And often we go straight to the engineer who talks about, yeah, this is going to change the world. This is going to be the, you know, the piece of the LIDAR that saves the puzzle. And I love the way you think about this in terms of, well, yes, it might may solve the puzzle, but does it lead to an actual business model that produces profit that ret returns on equity? So Neil, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, Pleasure. Thanks for joining us inside the rope and, and safe travels. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Take care. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com.
Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.